We turn in God's inspired word to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. 
Again, we consider this morning the Eighth Commandment of God's Law, Exodus 20, verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. The exposition of that Eighth Commandment is found in Lord's Day 42, with its two questions and answers, 110 and 111. What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God. As also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what does God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you have heard, the Eighth Commandment forbids stealing. But the Catechism correctly expounds the Eighth Commandment when it says that The prohibition against stealing does not speak merely of crimes punishable by a court of law. Like all the commandments, this too penetrates the heart, forbidding even covetousness and the abuse and waste of God's gifts. When the Catechism refers to God's gifts, it's it's reflecting a a fundamental principle that underlies the Eighth Commandment, and that principle is that of stewardship. God owns everything. God places a certain portion of his goods in our hands in order that we manage them to his name's honor and glory, and therefore also to the welfare of his church and kingdom. So it's often the case when we hear a sermon on the Eighth Commandment that that we hear that truth of stewardship expounded, as taught in Psalm 50 and Haggai 1 and many other passages in Scripture. But today... As we consider this Eighth Commandment, I want to do so from a different perspective. It's necessary to understand that underlying principle of stewardship, but we can also look at the Eighth Commandment from the viewpoint of our calling to seek the things above. For as those arisen with Christ, we have a calling to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so it's from that perspective that I call your attention to the Eighth Commandment this morning. 
And we do so under the theme, obeying the Eighth Commandment, seeking the things above. And looking at this commandment and Lord's Day 42 then, we do so from the viewpoint of Colossians 3, the opening verses of Colossians 3. And we consider, first of all, what we seek. Secondly, why we seek those things. And finally, the end in seeking the things above. We first consider what we seek. If we are to consider obeying the Eighth Commandment from a positive point of view. You remember, we are considering the law now from the viewpoint of those redeemed by Christ. And therefore, as a guide for a life of thankfulness. And so Colossians 3 is addressed to us. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You understand, when it comes to the Eighth Commandment, all stealing has its root in covetousness. The cause behind stealing is the desire to have something earthly. There are those who steal the money they want or the things that they want. But there are also those who steal not because they want those particular things, but in order to turn the objects of their theft into money for other things they want, be it drugs or alcohol to which they are addicted, or the payment of gambling debts, or other possessions they covet. But you understand, because covetousness is a sin that affects every one of us in various ways, that we are all given to stealing. Looking at the Catechism's explanation of what God forbids in the Eighth Commandment, How often are we guilty of abusing and wasting those gifts that God has entrusted to us? That would include our talents. That would include our time. So much of which is wasted by us on our smartphones and computers, not to mention other activities that have no redeeming value. Do we recognize such abuse? And notice the use of the term abuse. It ought to trouble us deeply and grieve us to the heart. But do we recognize such abuse and waste of God's gifts as sin against the Eighth Commandment? And get on our knees before God in repentance, pleading forgiveness? The Catechism correctly explains this commandment when it refers to those thefts and robberies punishable by the magistrate and then goes beyond those blatant violations of God's law. But the exposition obviously was written at a different time in history. 
It speaks of wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods that belong to our neighbor, and then it unfolds some of the concrete ways that stealing takes place, whether by force or under the appearance of right. And for the appearance of right, it speaks of unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins. Not many in the congregation are old enough to remember when things were weighed on scales using weights. Now everything comes prepackaged. Or if we buy anything in bulk, it's weighed on a digital scale. But if someone adjusts the scale so that it's not accurate and it gives the buyer less than he's supposed to be receiving for his money, that's stealing. The reference to L's is a measure of length equivalent to what the Bible would refer to as six handbreadths, or which roughly speaking was the length of one's forearm times three. That's an L. And that L was used in measuring fabric or cloth. If someone wasn't honest, they might sell a piece shorter than what it was supposed to have been. That's stealing. And then there are those things that are familiar to us today, even if they take on different forms. Fraudulent merchandise is a widespread form of theft today. With with all the online selling today, it's become a growing problem that the merchandise sold online under prominent brand names is counterfeit. We hear occasionally of counterfeit money. But the world is a very different place than the time when the Heidelberg Catechism was written. We don't live in a world where a couple has a corner grocery store or drugstore, or where a man plies his trade in a little shop and the farmer makes a living on a 40-acre parcel. We live in a world of multi-billion dollar corporations where it's not uncommon that corporate practices crush the little guy, making it almost impossible for a small businessman, even a small farmer, to survive. We live in an age when ethics is no longer taught in most schools of business and when God's law means nothing. We live in a world where stealing is readily excused and where it's not at all uncommon to see the violation of the Eighth Commandment go unpunished even by the magistrate or where those responsible for for the decision-making in a corrupt corporation are not even held responsible. The corporation pays a fine and moves on. So stealing can easily become a way of life 
the sinfulness of the sin and the offense and rebellion against the holy God is forgotten. May it not be so among us. Let us guard our hearts. When we are told in Colossians 3 to seek the things above, our eyes are directed toward heaven. We who are in Christ Jesus are those who have a different perspective when it comes to money and earthly possessions. Does that mean that we have nothing to do with the things of this earth? Clearly, that's not the case. God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, also distributes those things according to his will, providing for the needs of his creatures. When we are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread, we immediately understand that as earthly creatures, we have need for earthly things. Furthermore, the Catechism speaks of the goods which belong to the neighbor. There's a recognition, therefore, of God's provision of earthly possessions and of personal property. Scripture also shows us that the normal way in which God gives us those necessary earthly provisions and sometimes even abundance is by work. The call to work is part of the creation ordinance of God, impressed upon us again in the fourth commandment. It's even a preventative against stealing and other sins. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But that bread and all things come from God. As I mentioned in my introduction and have developed at length on other occasions, God is the absolute owner of everything. He has appointed us a certain portion as caretakers, as stewards of what he entrusts to us. So yes, we each are given personal property. Some are even given much. But you know that he holds us accountable for what he's given us. That's true even of the gospel. The Bible speaks of the treasure that he's given us. We have to guard that treasure. We have to distribute that treasure by the faithful preaching of the gospel and the personal testimony God gives us to bear. And Paul writes in 1 
Corinthians 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So it is with every possession. But when it comes to earthly things, if we do not receive our earthly possessions in a way appointed and approved of by God, if instead we design to take to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, we are thieves, guilty of stealing. And when, with the many gifts that God entrusts to our care, we neglect to serve him and seek his will, but instead serve ourselves in the lust of the flesh, in the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we steal from him. It isn't that long ago that we considered together Malachi's prophecy. And among many other rebukes and calls to repentance, Malachi had to proclaim the word of the Lord in Malachi 3 verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Haggai, several years before Malachi's prophecy, had to expose God's judgments to Israel's eyes in order that they might see their sin, in order that they might come to repentance. Haggai 1, verses 4 through 6, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, that is God's house, lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. The sin of stealing also has its consequences. So positively, we stand before the calling to seek the things above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Literally, we're called to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. That's really the idea expressed by the call to seek the things above. What is our focus in life? Again, our minds are occupied by our jobs. It takes the exercise of our minds to do our business, to handle our finances, and to do so well. The exercise of stewardship over earthly things is an exercise of the mind. But that isn't to be the focus of your life and mine. And God has given most of us much, and we can be thankful for that. We need money for all kinds of things, not only household needs, but the needs of the kingdom. 
the church and the schools and all that the broader ministry of the gospel includes. And when the Lord gives us much, there's more time involved in overseeing things and carrying out our callings as stewards unto our Lord. But if we live in obedience to the Eighth Commandment, in thankfulness for what is ours in Christ Jesus, we have to live by faith, with our minds fixed upon the things above. The things above are all defined by what it means that Christ sits at God's right hand. The things above are all defined by the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. And here, my first point today bleeds into my second point. Why do we seek the things above? What is the relationship between our seeking the things above and obeying the Eighth Commandment? We do so because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law and given us an entirely new perspective. How we needed that. How we have grieved him by our sins. Also against sins against the Eighth Commandment. The sins we have committed in stealing from God as well as from the neighbor are sins that brought us under condemnation. As the Catechism footnotes, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 10, we are reminded that no thieves nor covetous, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. But Christ died for such. Christ died for time wasters. He died for those who have not faithfully used the gifts He has given. He died for those who cheated by stealing answers from their classmates. He died for those who did not work diligently for their wages, who were lazy, as well as for those who neglected to put God and his kingdom first in their use of what God entrusted to them. He died for those who were so self-centered in their possessions that they laid up all kinds of things for themselves and were not rich toward God. He died for those who spent what they didn't have because they coveted what others did have. He died for those whose love for this world and the pleasures of this earthly life caused them to cast aside what is truly valuable. He died for you and me. And Christ arose. He arose having paid the price as our substitute, having obeyed perfectly God's law, giving his own life for our sakes. And he arose not just from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And in doing so, Scripture tells us, Ephesians 4 verse 8, as quoting Psalm 68, 
He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Victorious over sin and death, the devil and his host, Christ seized us as his own. Having redeemed us, he led us into the treasure house of all those spiritual and heavenly blessings that are his, and which he now bestows upon us by his Holy Spirit, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption are ours in him, never apart from him. Fellowship with God in the covenant communion of his rich life and love are ours. As those risen with Christ, his love has been shed abroad in our hearts. And therefore, with the source of our life being in heaven, our whole perspective concerning earthly things has changed. The things above and the things of this earth are not to be separated but rather united in such a way that the things of this earth are totally dedicated to the things above, and more particularly to him who has reconciled all things unto himself. The unity of things earthly and things heavenly have been restored, has been restored in Jesus Christ our Lord. He who became flesh and dwelt among us became the last Adam. He came as the head of his covenant. The covenant which embraces not only his elect, but his whole creation. The world which God loves, the cosmos, with the elect church at its core, must be saved. That's the reason, according to John 3, verse 17, for which God sent his Son into this world. And in the words of Romans 8, verse 21, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Which means, then, that with our minds set on things above, we rule the things of this earth as the stewards that God has made us in, in the callings God has given us. Our perspective of earthly things must be controlled entirely by our seeking the things above. In our home life, in our marriages, in our child-rearing and the exercise of our calling as husbands and as wives, in our life as individuals at work, in the handling of our finances, in all the various relationships of life, in our use of the things of this creation, our whole perspective must be controlled by the things above. Everything we do must be viewed as sacred. That's possible, of course, only 
by being in Christ, united to him by a true faith, risen with him, who now sits at God's right hand. Through his spirit, he has delivered us from sin and death, which would not only bind us to the things earthly, but which would use those earthly things to consume us. He's freed us. In Christ, we are now given to see him who came to establish the new heavens and the new earth, where all is united perfectly. We now see that God has distributed all things according to his sovereign purpose, even to those who are unbelieving and ungodly. He has done so with the promise to his people. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's that heavenly perspective to which we are called as those who are risen with Christ, And so God requires us, question and answer 111, that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others, further also that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. You see, with our minds set on things above and not on things on the earth, We're not looking to steal from the neighbor, but to help the neighbor for his or her own spiritual good. We long that the treasures of the gospel that God has entrusted to us be enjoyed also by those around us. The end in seeking the things above is seen in Colossians 3, verse 4, as we look upon him in whom is our life. The life that is ours now, being risen with Christ, and therefore seeking the things above, is a life that gives joy even now. But that life and that fullness of joy is not yet complete. Because of the sinfulness of our flesh and the deceitfulness of our own minds, we're constantly in danger of losing the proper perspective and the biblical balance of the Christian life. Because of our ties to the things of this earth, we're always inclined to get caught up in an earthly perspective. It's much easier from a certain point of view to look at the Christian life as did the Pharisees, setting all kinds of rules and and ordinances that's much easier than to seek the things above and bring our minds and our lives into subjection to the perfect law of liberty, loving God and one another. We once again stand before that tension in our own lives. Our lives, therefore, are not yet seen in the way that they shall be seen at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, That's why we need the admonition of this text. That's why God would call us before his law and give us also the eighth commandment as a rule for a life of thankfulness to him. 
That's why we need the many admonitions of Scripture calling us to show ourselves the Christians that we are. The beauty of life in Christ is ours. Yet that beauty in a very real sense is hid with Christ in God. But the day is coming when Christ who is our life shall appear. And when he who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. No longer will our beauty be hidden behind our old sinful natures. No longer will our perfect righteousness and holiness be hid with Christ in God. But when Christ shall appear in his glorious resurrection body, we also will be revealed with him in bodies that are fashioned like unto his glorious body, as we read in Philippians 3, verse 21. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let us therefore fix our minds on things above, holding the scriptures close to our hearts. How foolish it is to pollute our joy with an earthly perspective, to focus on human ordinances rather than on the freedom God has given us in Christ. What loss is ours when we forget who we are? We are those risen with Christ to whom belong all things. We are those to whom he has given a multitude of gifts. Not only individual possessions and talents, but the riches of the gospel. We are those risen in Christ to whom he powerfully addresses and irresistibly calls to remember our calling, to put away all covetousness and stealing, and to serve him in love, and the neighbor as ourselves. We are the covenant people whose life is hid with Christ in God, who live in his fellowship, blessed with his life, and therefore to whom all of life is sacred. Even the things that God has entrusted to us and to the neighbor. Yes, ours is the joy of possessing a treasure, even that of belonging to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that life of joy is soon to be seen in all its fullness as we are caught up in the beauty of holiness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the riches of the gospel, for the life that is ours in Christ, and for the minds whereby we may seek now the things above 
and not the things on earth. Father, give us faithfulness as we strive to live in thankfulness to Thee also with regard to our earthly possessions. Grant that we may be faithful stewards in all that Thou hast given us, including the riches of the gospel. For Jesus' sake, amen.